Hello, it's Emily Brandwin, your host for Washington for Beautiful People. And I have some very, very exciting news. In the coming weeks, Washington for Beautiful People will be available in a separate feed, while Deep State Radio and National Security Magazine will continue to be available via the Deep State Radio feed. You'll be able to find Washington for Beautiful People on all of your favorite podcast platforms, but you will need to subscribe to it separately. So... Once again, you'll find Washington for Beautiful People on all your favorite podcast platforms, but you'll need to subscribe to it separately. We'll provide all the exciting details in the coming weeks as soon as they become available. And thank you again so much for listening. Bye-bye. We can discuss that later. Yeah, yeah. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Coming to you direct from our super secret studio. Hello, this is Washington for Beautiful People on Deep State Radio. I'm your host, Emily Brandwin, at CIA Spy Girl on Twitter. And we're broadcasting once again for the very, very sunny West Left Coast. And I always give a weather update because forever, like the last seven of these podcasts, every time I would do one, it was raining out. And today it's beautiful. So it's very exciting. And I always feel like I'm turning into my grandmother every time I talk about the weather. Anyway, I'm beyond thrilled to have on perhaps two of my most favorite podcasters in the world. They are a popular duo on the podcast Zero Blog 30. You know them probably on social media, on Chaps McNeely and Captain Cons, but I know Miss Chaps and Cons. And thank you guys for coming. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Emily. I'm happy to be here. You are happy to be here? Are you just saying that so you sound nice and really great on this? Are you really happy to be here? I, I think that's just the generic thing you're supposed to say when you go on someone else's show. Well, you can say something else. Like, oh. would you rather, what else would you rather be doing than talking to me right now? I know. Khan's no, trying actually. to act so cool right now. He's trying to be like the coolest. He wants to be in the cool kid club so bad. I really, really do. I really do. No, I am. I am genuinely happy to be here. So I appreciate the invite, and I'm excited to talk to you. Oh, that was very nice. And by the mm-hmm. way, if you wanted to get a cool kid invite, this is the wrong place to be. I've legitimately never been cool one day in my life. I don't believe that for a second. Um, I wore an eye patch in school. Well, you're also a theater major, and everybody knows those are the cool kids at school. Oh, yeah, mm. we're definitely the cool kids. <laughs> um, yeah, theater major that. I was also in a class in gym that was legitimately called special gym, which you could never do anymore. But it, was, <laughs> it was for little girls who couldn't throw balls against walls, and that's how the gym teacher sold it to us. And I had to spend my math class literally throwing balls against walls. See, the dad in me makes that – that makes me very upset. Doesn't I would it? be – I would be irate if my daughter came home and said that. What would you do like now? Because that was such a different time, although I'm very young. That was a while ago. (laughs) What would you have done? Well, I like to say that with my marine brain, I would go and make the coach just start throwing balls at the wall. Like, I think that's what that's what I would do. I just wouldn't put up with it. I mean, let her play. Even if she can't play as good as the other kids, she needs to be out there and doing it. What if she accidentally threw a ball at another kid's head, knocked her out unconscious. I'm not saying that's what I did, but what if? 
If it was my kid, it wouldn't have been an accident. Yeah, it definitely would have been on purpose. <laughs> um, I love your kid already. Um, I discovered you both because you're very, very funny on Twitter, and I gravitate towards funny people. And I think you both at some point or other gave me shit, so that probably endeared you both more to me <laughs> at the time. Um, but you all also, I was I was a guest on your podcast on Zero Blog 30, and yes. I just, would you all tell... Uh, tell my listeners, because I want them to s discover you all as well, what Zero Blog 30 is all about. Sure. So when we started Zero Blog 30, we kind of designed it to be the online version of the VFW is what I like to think, because we're in a modern society now and a lot of veterans don't go, military members don't go to the VFW, the physical one. So I like to imagine people who spent time in the military or have family members of the military or just generally curious about the military they come home on Friday afternoon, they sit down in their office at their house, crack open a beer and listen to us talk about issues that they would have heard in their platoon room or around base or anything like that. And for some of us who may not know the acronym or the letters VFW? Um, the Veteran of Foreign War. Thank you. Um, and also what I think is, is great about the podcast, you have so many different types of guests as well that I think it's not just for people who are in the military, it's it's for people who may have an interest in it or just people want to be entertained as well because you all are very, very funny. You ask great questions. You have interesting conversations that I think extend even more so that and it's really opened up your audience. So I think it, what's interesting to note is the majority of our audience is actually civilian listeners and they don't really have much of a tie or if they do have a tie, it's a small one to the military. So that one of our goals is try to appeal to everyone, not just the, the veterans and the active duty listeners that we have, but also the civilians. And when you speak about the different types of guests that we have on, that's in the back of our minds because we try to think, okay, if I don't have any sort of military service or background and I don't really follow everything, am I still going to enjoy this? And hopefully that that's what we go for. We try to, to reach that goal with each episode and each guest. You do. I, I mean, I, I enjoy it. I also, I have a, obviously a history and past in government and, and all that kind of good stuff. But I think you'd all do a, a really, really solid job of that. And I think it's really important now more than ever that, you know, everybody understands the amazing work that the military does. And I think you bring it in such a unique perspective. Would you also just share just quickly your backgrounds as well? Because you come from different parts of the military and you have different backgrounds. And I think that's also what makes the show interesting is, is your perspectives as well. Sure. Khan, do you want to start? Yeah, so uh, Chaps is going to hate this, but I uh, came from New Jersey. I'm a northern guy, and I went to West Point. Oh, and God, here we go. <laughs> See, here we go. Chaps, <laughs> this is the best part about going on another show. I get to talk about myself. There we go. <laughs> so I actually uh, was fortunate enough to play uh, football at West Point, and then anyone who goes to a military academy, you get commissioned into that service. So I served as an active duty artillery officer. Uh, for five years after I graduated back in 2006. And did, go ahead. You, sir, I was going to ask you, where did you end up going? Sure. Um, I spent uh, my first year at West Point, and then I went down to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where I went to artillery officer course, and then was stationed at Fort Hood, Texas. And then I deployed from Fort Hood, Texas to Iraq in 2008 in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and returned in 2009. And I Finished up my active duty service in 2011 and my reserve service in 2014. So now I'm just a plain old civilian who likes to get grumpy about veterans' issues. I like that. 
I get grumpy about a lot of issues. So I feel like we're going to have a really good conversation. I guess I I don't really get too grumpy. I'm not one of these people uh, who is triggered by everything. Uh, As as it seems these days, people are so easily triggered by so many different things. So I try to keep everything in perspective. Oh, gosh. Now I feel bad. Before we got on the air, I started giving you crap because you like the new version of Red Dawn. And I think it's total shite. And I (sighs) had you kicked off because I was like, we can't go on. No, and but I- Emily... He sticks around. I've tried to kick him off our show so many <laughs> times. Unbelievable. Did you know about the Red Dawn thing, though? I didn't. It's uh, a, it's I need to rethink insight. this whole philosophy that we have. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite movies ever. I, I, I can quote later for you. Um, yeah, this is... And now it's going through a bad place. Uh, Chaps, would you tell us a little bit about you as well? Sure. I am um, a retired Marine. I retired after I got back from Fallujah in 2007. I was a military working dog handler for nine and a half years in the United States Marine Corps. I got out as a staff sergeant. So the dichotomy of my service as an enlisted Marine um, against cons. And we also have another co-host named Kate, who's a, a Marine as well. She did two tours in Afghanistan. So we have we kind of run the gamut from junior enlisted side to um, staff NCO level or, or leadership level on the enlisted side. And then of course, cons as the officer of the group. So that's kind of what we try to do. I've spent time in Okinawa, Fallujah with first recon battalion. I was wounded in action. So we talk about that a little bit and we spend a lot of time talking about PTSD. I, I have PTSD and we are open about those type of mental issues on our show and inc- encourage people who are suffering from that or think that they might be suffering from that to go get help. First of all, thank you both for your service. I know, I, I hope you get thanked every single day, but thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I actually wake up and I first thing I do every day is send Chaps a text and thank him for his service. That's not true because I would have blocked him by now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Emily, it's funny, you know, Chaps mentions he was a, he was a dog handler. And I think that was one of the, the ways that early on in the show that we were able to connect so well with civilians is because we would do segments where we would just talk about dogs and take submissions from dog owners. Obviously, you don't have to be in the military to be a dog owner. And I think that kind of bridge that was one of the first things that we were able to bridge that gap between the military and civilian life talking about dogs because who doesn't love dogs and if you don't then there's something wrong with you because i really don't like people who doesn't who don't like dogs right (laughs) i immediately judge them right as well you should as well you should but I have a question. Do you like all dogs? Like, would do you like the little yappy dogs? Well, I said that with and with an attitude. I don't want to sway your judgment. <laughs> do you like those little yappy dogs, or do you like big dogs that are real? I don't like dogs at this point in my life. I've been around so many okay. dogs that bark all the time. I don't like any dog that makes a lot of noise. So okay. the very first thing I do when I get a dog from my house is I train them not to bark at all. I don't want them to speak. I don't. They can like whine a little bit whenever they're hungry or need to go outside. But don't bark in the house. I hate that. But I was always against really small dogs until there was one that was running around my neighborhood and he had a little collar on. It was a chihuahua and he maybe weighed five pounds. And he he had a little um, ID tag on his collar that said peanut. And I just brought him into my house. My old, my other dog, my big dog went outside. Peanut sat on my shoulder and licked my beard for like an hour and a half until his oh, owners came and got him. Yeah, I was like, this dog is amazing. I need Peanut. So, you Peanut, to- if you're listening, call us up. We'll come get you. <laughs> well, just to lick your beard. That's why. Yeah. What about you, Cox? 
Do you have a oh, dog? I, I do not have a dog. Uh, I hope to have a dog one day, but I'm, I'm more in your camp, Emily, where I, I like to have a dog that I can maybe roughhouse with a little bit and then really feel like the dog has a presence as opposed to some of these breeds that are a little bit smaller. But I would agree with Chaps, and I'm going to hit him up eventually when I do get a dog to train it to just not bark inside because that would get very annoying very fast. Our friend, and I'll send you this picture offline, uh, bought a dog, uh, one of those bark collars for their dog, and it's a small, it's a puggle. And our friend's wife was like, oh, this is horrible. You can't put it on. It's going to shock it. And he said, no, it's not that bad. She goes, okay, then you put it on. So literally we were at dinner. He put the bark collar on his neck, and he started barking because he wanted to see what the shock would be. But he was so nervous about it that he was like, bark, bark. We're like, you have to really bark. So eventually he barked. He got such a shock, so now they don't use it. (laughs) <laughs> well, you can get one that vibrates. The vi- the vibrating one is really humane. It just vibrates like an old beeper would, and it's uncomfortable, but it doesn't hurt them. <laughs> it doesn't shock the shit out of you? Right, yeah. <laughs> when you try to wear it to show your wife that it's not uh, inhumane? Yeah. How, how did you guys meet? Was it through the podcast, and how did you guys get involved with the podcast? So Cons was, uh, I'm the full-time employee at Barstool Sports, and... Cons was supposed to come on and just be like the second guest. And our our very first episode that we talked about, we got into some pretty heavy issues. Uh, we got into gun control and school violence and uh, things like that and how we as veterans think that we should curb things like gun violence in America. And he, he comes from a conservative background. I'm a little bit more liberal. So we but we had conversations that were constructive where we weren't fighting, where we weren't just bickering back and forth. You weren't Twitter, essentially. Yeah, we weren't Twitter. <laughs> Basically. So I asked him. He had some He had some podcast experience on our network already, so I just asked him if he wanted to come on and be the full-time co-host with me. I have a question. How I, I, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but now I'm curious. Where do you both nut out? I know it's a much heavier conversation. What were your, your points of view on gun control? It's become such, it, it's obviously, it's, it's one of the big issues, and I think mm. it will be into 2020. What were your thoughts on how to impact it? I think that we need to have, if you bring your weapon outside of your house, you need to be required to have some sort of license for safety, first of all, like you would be for a car. Um, I think what you want to do in your own home is fine, but I think if you bring it out into public at all, you need to have some sort of safety license, safety classes, things like that. And I don't see really the benefit of the average citizen having weapons like we're seeing all across. I think that it's dangerous. I think that people don't know how to use them properly. And when they are used in public, they're not hunting. I mean, nobody goes hunting for with, with an AR-15 to go there, shoot there, a deer. be no deer left. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is certainly one of those issues where Chaps and I are in lockstep. I, I agree and echo everything he just said. I, I, By no means do I want to take people's rights away that are afforded them by the Constitution. But at the same time, I do not see the point in having such high-powered rifles that you take off of your own property. Um, and it's just um, interesting to me that anyone could really think differently that you know the example you just used that why would you need an AR15 to, to hunt deer so it just doesn't make doesn't <laughs> make sense deer to nuggets me. at the end little deer right. nuggets okay. yeah, exactly it's, it's interesting because i think there's always this perception that if you're liberal you want to take guns away and it's i don't i don't think it's that black and white 
And all. you know what's interesting too, I don't mean to interrupt, but what's interesting no. too is Chaps and I, both veterans, neither of us are, are gun guys, so to speak. You know, everyone thinks like, oh, everybody in the military loves guns and they have all these guns. I've never owned a weapon myself and I don't hunt, so I don't see any re- need in the future for me to have any sort of weapon. So it's just um, kind of interesting how that plays out as well. And there's a huge for me, like whenever I think about guns, I think about it from a military's perspective. There's a huge deficiency that's going on. And whenever you see it, like throughout leadership in the military, if there's a deficiency, there needs to be a corrective action. Clearly, America has a huge gun issue. There needs to be a corrective action somewhere. So either allow people who are suffering from severe mental illnesses to access mental health care or take the guns away. It's got to be one or the other and probably a combination of the both. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, have have you seen any improvement in how the government is handling mental health care for returning veterans? Or is that still something that, I mean, obviously it's still something that needs to be fixed. What would you, if you had the magic wand, what would you do? Because it is, to me, it's disgraceful that we're not doing more, but I, it's, 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 to me, that's a crisis that we're having in our country. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an issue where, if if we just sit around and wait for the government and the, for the VA to fix itself, we're going to be waiting around for a real long time. And what's so great about uh, our show is we're able to put out there organizations that have taken up the slack and are really out there championing the cause for veterans' mental health and, and doing what they can to help in the meantime. Because, I mean, the VA is such a huge bureaucracy. That it's huge. It's the biggest it, – one of the biggest ones, I think – in the government second biggest second biggest yeah so i mean to 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 change have to affect change there is going to be a very very slow so you have organizations like the home base organization like headstrong which we are um great partners with and and try to champion for them as much as we possibly can that are able to to provide that help that veterans uh deserve tell us a little bit about headstrong and how you both got involved with it because i want i want people who are listening to go and check out Headstrong and also Heal Our Heroes and some of these other organizations that are doing some amazing good work. Because to your point, we can't wait for the government. If, having worked for the government, I can say everything is is like dog ears if you want to get anything <laughs> done. I remember I used to have fights at the agency because I would get something signed on a white piece of paper that needed to go out right away and having a pissing contest with a boss who said, no, it needs to be on a cream sheet. I'm like, it just needs to get out right away with your signature. Yeah. And literally yeah. would get forth, and I was like, okay, how about this? She's like, that's the eggshell color. I'm like, are we fighting over a J. Crew catalog at this point? Just fucking sign right. your name. Yeah. So we've now fought for an hour and a half, basically, because I was being a stubborn motherfucker, and I was just wanted to prove my point that we just need a signature. But that is just a little microcosm of the government. So I think that these organizations are, and not to be a cliche, are kind of doing God's work in that sense. And they're they're picking up the slack. They shouldn't have to pick up, but they are, and it's amazing. So I would love for y'all just to champion a couple of them so we know where to go if we want to support them. Sure. So Headstrong is an organization that we partner with quite a bit. And the reason why I do it and we've picked this one is because you don't have to have 
everything written down. And even if you're on active duty, you're able to go to these people because there's this trope around military that for some reason leadership are expressing this idea that if you have PTSD or if you have traumatic brain injuries or with cognitive issues that come along with that, that it's not going to affect your career. Cons and I know in reality that's just not fucking true. It is going mm-hmm. to affect you. You're going to get processed out. So maybe you can get some healing along the way before you feel comfortable going and talking to your doctor on base. And secondly, I want to address this idea that the the VA is somehow bad. And not saying that you're saying that, Emily, but I think that there's this. I was going to say, I'm not saying that. But yeah, I think yeah. Right. I, that there's this per, there's this pervasive idea that the VA in and of itself is a terrible organization. What I think the VA is, I think it's a great organization that is like one of those shitty restaurants that had terrible management for so long that every time you drive by it, even if you've been living in the same town for 30 years, you would never consider going to it just because of what people said. When in reality, some of the people, some of the doctors, some of the psychiatrists, some of the psychologists who work there are the most passionate and compassionate people that you could find about these veteran issues. And it's the veteran community because of leadership, people in positions like Connor and myself in the past have constantly shit on the VA that we've made it almost like an ugly duckling where nobody even wants to give their mental health treatment a try. So I think that we've got to get past that as military leaders where we say, yes, the VA does offer this this care, it is good. Now, if the VA could fix the time that it takes to get an appointment, then we'd really be cooking with gas because once you get treatment, it's pretty decent from the VA. How long does it take someone on average if if they say, you know, I, I need to get I need to get help? Is it months? Is it weeks? Or because I, I mean, hate the idea that someone who is in, in need is not getting it right away. Yeah, it's just it it really is just on a case by case basis, depending on where you and are in locale. the country. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Where you are in the country, it, the fact of the matter is, some VA locations are just better staffed and and they're better at dealing with things than others. Uh, you know, I, I'd imagine that the wait times here in in New York City, where I am, are probably a lot higher than some more rural areas that don't see as many veterans. Uh, and that's just the nature of the beast. And that's another reason why these other organizations that have popped up in years in recent years are so great because it it virtually eliminates that wait time. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, from the first time that I used Headstrong, from the the first time I called to the time I was sitting down with someone, it was less than a week. Right. So that that's the type of time frame that we need to deal with, because so often we're dealing with veterans that are on potentially the precipice of taking their own lives or hurting themselves or, or going down a spiral that they're affecting other people in their lives. And every day is so crucial. Every day that they have to wait longer to, to see someone and start talking and getting that help is so crucial. So it is imperative uh, to eliminate that as best you can. And as I said, it's just unfortunate that just some, some of the places in this country are just better than others. I appreciate how vulnerable and open you both are in, in talking about this issue, because even within the, I was thinking even with, at the CIA, you, you just in government and positions like that, we just don't talk about it. Mm. And I, I think it's to be able to get care and not worry about it affecting you and affecting your job and your career and having that worry off your plate so you can just take care of yourself is so important. You know, it, 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 no, it, it is. It's, 
and it's it's tough too. I mean, especially Chaps and I coming from you know combat arms where it's predominantly male. It's it's like a locker room. It's you know it's alpha. It's everyone's a tough guy, right? And no one wants to talk about feelings. And if you talk about feelings, you're weak. And uh, you know I, I think that's slowly starting to to change in the military. And I like to think that's because I cry often on the podcast. <laughs> we like to say it. we don't minute, we don't cry I, shame. Can I? cry make you cry is there anything i can do probably i mean if we start talking about something <laughs> emotional i like to say that i'm the steph curry of crying like that i i'm just an emotional guy i, I really am um when we I'm, talk about serious combat issues it it really deeply affects us and i think that it's okay to let those emotions show i mean we could easily cut out the parts of the podcast where i get emotional but part of my traumatic brain injury is having like oversensitivity like and it's like part of the diagnosis that i'm prone to like break down and i do that sometimes on the podcast when we talk about children dying or making mistakes in combat i get upset about it and i think that that's okay to talk about i think it's more than okay i think it makes you instantly relatable to people who are going through the exact same thing but who don't feel comfortable expressing that or sharing that or have some type of shame associated with that emotion yeah, and I, I mean, I think that it sets a great example, not only to the veteran community, but I'm that way with my kids, my daughters. I think that my daughters seeing that you can be emotional and men are emotional too. I think it's totally fine. It's totally, well, you're such a good modern dad. It's <laughs> like, look at you. No, it's it's really important because that, that stigma needs to truly go away because it's, it's just... It's there's nothing good about it. And it, I think it stigmatized everyone in in a shitty way. But um, and that's that's the critical word right there is stigma. And that's one of the goals uh, that we try to get across on our show is to just help break down that stigma. Uh, it's it's certainly not something that we can wave a wand at to, to steal from something you said earlier. But <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that the more we kind of chip away at it, hopefully it'll continue to get better. Nobody ever makes fun of you for going to the dentist. This should be the same thing for psychologists. Well, right. I, I've always said, I'm like, your brain is the most important organ you have. And it's the one organ we pay the least attention to. Mm -hmm. we, we pay mm -hmm. attention if we're, you know, you break a bone, you get it set. Of course, you're feeling bad. You think you have a cold you go see the doctor. But if you're, if your head's not right, people, there's such a stigma. Oh, I mean, growing up, my parents had, you know, if we ever said there was something wrong, my mom was always like, suck it up. She mm -hmm. was compassionate, but it was that there was something wrong. And it was this, such this antiquated idea that it, it was so not healthy. And I, and I, I'm hoping that I, I'm seeing it more. I think we are, that people are talking about it and they're realizing we have to take care of that. Yeah. But I have a question for you, totally different topic just because it's been in the news, the transgender troop ban. Okay. Uh, wait, was that, uh, no, uh, no, 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 no. I'm, <laughs> I'm curious about your thoughts. I, I'm, I've been very clear about my thoughts cause I think it's a shit idea, but I have no judgment, but I, I wanted, if sure, you can't, we, yeah, absolutely. I'd love for you to talk about it. Cause I think it'd be, I think it's interesting to hear it from both of, you know, obviously you've served and to hear it from your perspective. We, I actually finished um, an interview this morning with Kristen Beck, and she is fantastic. She's a Navy SEAL who was with yep. SEAL Team 6 and served with Rob O'Neill. She was involved with the takedown of Osama bin Laden, very decorated, Bronze Star with a V, Purple Heart recipient. And the idea that someone like her can't serve to me is 
so repulsive. And I think that when you have a war that goes on for 18 years and you're talking about the longest war in the United States history, and we haven't ever had to rely on a draft starting to thumb your nose up at people who want to volunteer to serve in the Marine Corps, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, wherever, misses the mark of the humanity that the military is supposed to show. It is a complete lapse in judgment in our core values, like for us, for example, of honor, courage, and commitment, to have a commitment to liberty and treating all people, regardless of race, color, creed, sexual orientation, to me, it's gross. Well, and you to, to that, I would just add, you know, I, I'll give you a quick example. Let's say you're in combat or let, let's just say I'm in combat and, and I get, you know, hurt and to the point where I can't walk. And the only person that can save me is a, a female or a transgender or, you know, uh, a- anybody really. Am I going to sit there and say, no, no, please, please don't save me. You know, yeah, please don't I'll pull me wait. off the battlefield to safety. You know, I'll just figure something else out. No, of course. We've, we've all said, we, we've long said on our show, it, if you can meet the standard, I don't really care what is between your legs. So that goes for transgender, that goes for females, because I know recently that the discussion about females in combat has come up in recent years. I do not care, so long as you can get the job done. Now, if you can't meet the standard, then I have an issue, because then yeah. you're putting people people's, people's safety at risk. But so long as you're not doing that, then I don't have an issue. I feel like this your, your perception, not your perception, but your opinion is fairly common amongst or among the other military that I've talked to. Do you, do you think this is more coming from an administrative point of view? Because I don't feel, cause I've seen, you know, uh, the, yeah, the, I would, I, I would say, I think it's more of a generational divide and yep. we're still yeah. at the, we're still at the place. I think once you have people who are our age, like we're in our mid thirties, early thirties, once you have people in, <laughs> once you have people our age in leadership, I think that, this will be a complete non-issue. But right now, fact of the matter is, that's not what military leadership looks like. That's not what the White House looks like. It looks like a bunch of white males who are making decisions that for yep. generations white males have made. I call them the interchangeable white males. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. I mean, I we mean, were talking about it yesterday. The Marine Corps is on its, it's about to nominate its 38th commandant yeah. in, in its history, all of whom are white males. Like, it's just... We've got to have more diversity in thought. It is a representation of society. That's what I mean. I know I talk about that a lot with the agency as well, because people were saying it's just the breakdown and how important diversity is. And you can't have a military, you can't have an intelligence agency that doesn't represent diversity of thought. It is it is counterproductive. It is damaging to our country if you don't have that type of inclusion. It's the only way to to work now and it it seems like such an old antiquated way of thinking and it's so myopic that i i do think that you're right that it's going to take another generation to come in and what's interesting is i think our parents generation you know they you'd stay in a job forever and that mm-hmm. was your job mm-hmm. our generation is different you know we'll hop job to job and so I worry that maybe people are leaving and they're not staying in and then you lose that institutional knowledge and you lose that passion and, you know, and drive and fight. So I'm hoping that, you know, our generation, I'm just going to loop myself into your generation. So I feel young. will <laughs> will stay to make those changes and affect that change. And I don't approach a lot of these issues from like a liberal perspective. It's just kind of yeah. in where I end up. Like, I think that it's about to me, freedom is the ultimate 
that's the ultimate thing that makes America so great. And if we don't allow people to be free in who they are at their home or who they are sexually or who they are in their own brain, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? And I think that's one of the biggest problems we have, we see now in our military, in our uh, political landscape is folks, they associate with one side, you know, so they're Republican, yeah. Democrat, whatever, you know, in military. And they say, oh, well, I'm a Republican, so I have to think this way on this issue. Well, no, why can't you just take every issue and, and approach it from a rational point of view and, and take all the facts and the details and then make your decision versus, oh, I just have to think this. No, you don't. Well, it's hard now. I We're so divided and everything's so divisive and you can't, you know, tweet anything or say anything without, you know, a barrage of attacks. You know, 10 years ago, we could have discussions and we did have discussions and there, there was actual discourse. I know even right now, if I'm on social media and I have an actual discussion with somebody, I usually end it with, oh, look at us being adults. We just have right. this, <laughs> we're so different and oh, look at us. We're so, we're so adulting. Mm-hmm. And just, we don't see it. it. It ends up, you know, just going into a cesspool of filth and, you know, a hor- it's a horror show. And we don't take issue by issue anymore. But I think that's part of the political system right now that, you know, the Democrats and Republicans are so divided that they don't. It's almost like it's not allowed anymore. And you feel like you have to choose a side. You definitely do. And even with guests on who you have on your show, I mean, we'll have like somebody like Representative Kinzinger and then we'll have Max Rose and then we'll have a Rob O'Neill and then we'll have Kristen Beck and then we'll have a Dakota Meyer. We cover the entire military, no matter what political leanings you have, because why separate thought and have everything essentially become like your own Twitter account where it's just a vacuum of your own ideas? I, I just don't think that that's worth anything. Except if it was my Twitter account, because that would be awesome. <laughs> I you guys ever get shit for having different guests on that people oh, disagree yeah. with? Yeah. Yep. That yeah. was the quickest yes ever. How do you feel? <laughs> you're like, yep, yep, yep. How do you deal with trolls? Do you you? I'm assuming you get trolls because you're human, but I just didn't know if there was a respect level where people go, okay, I'm not going to troll the military. You know, they've they've served. They're our heroes. Or are people like, fuck it, we're going to troll them. My opinion on Twitter is that you are a reflection of your mentions, I think. Uh, I think that if you, by and large, treat people well and you put positive vibes out there on your Twitter account and you're not like constantly shitting or being snarky against people, then you're not going to have a lot of that in your mentions. Sure, you're going to have some sometimes, but I mean, I have a decent following on Twitter and I don't I, I rarely get people who are just mean. What about you? Yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm the same, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I used to just, it's just by the nature of my personality. That I do have a lot of people muted too. Let me just say that. So. <laughs> <laughs> do you, wait a minute, do you mute or do you block? Oh, I mute because, well, it depends if they are like big fans of my company overall, of Barstool overall, and I see them follow like almost all of my fellow employees, I'll block them because I know it will drive them insane whenever <laughs> I'm having a conversation with another coworker and they can't see it. But if it's just like me and cons and Kate, then I'll just mute them and just let them scream into the wind. That's a good, good thought. I like it. Yeah. And I mean, I was, I was just, I mean, that is a, a really great point and a good approach, but I mean, just by my nature, I like to, I like to have a discourse and I like to, to kind of debate people and go back and forth. But then I found, uh, you know, a while ago, maybe a few years ago now that when you have a debate on Twitter so often, it just, it's, it's never, you're not going to convince someone yeah. that you're right and they're wrong or vice versa. So I, I've really 
tried to not in really engage in debates where I can see that, all right, this person is just so hell bent that I am wrong and that I am the scum of the earth. So I'm not even going to engage that. So much like Chap said, I don't really find too many people coming at me in, in my mentions that, you know, want to be argumentative. And I think it's just more fun that way. Like what I see some people on, on social media, they get into it with people every day. And I think to myself, that cannot be fun for you. <laughs> Why I do it? into it on bagel gate. I will tell you. <laughs> no, now, now let me tell you, if you're slicing up your bagels, like it's a loaf of bread, oh. we have problems. And I, I don't mind it. I don't mind that move at all. <laughs> well, I, you're dead to me. I'm yeah. You're I, uncultured. I'm swine chaps. And that kills me. I, I literally, they besmirched the name of my hometown. I, I, I literally, I started to freak out. I contacted this guy. I'm like, what are you doing? You're killing me over here. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks that we're animals. What are you doing? Right. But like something like that, like that's fun. Like yeah, we can fun. disagree till the cows come home about something like that. Cause that's just fun. That's silly. It's stupid. Doesn't have any sort of consequence. Yeah, you're right. But when you're talking about actual issues, if you want to have a real intelligent conversation, well then we need to get in, in, in a room together. Cause I, we need to, to bounce off one another. And if I don't know you, I need to see your, your facial expressions and how you're reacting. I can have a conversation with someone over the phone or over Twitter that I know because it's a, a little different. But I, that's why I just try to stay away from certain issues on social media because it's just going to be like you're pissing in the wind. It's fine. I heard there was a story. It was a beautiful story, actually. Someone trolled Sarah Silverman. I don't know if you guys heard the story. And she engaged them on Twitter and basically said, hey – you're calling me this name and I don't, I, I can see that you're hurt. And the guy, it kind of shocked this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember yeah. the story? Yeah. And she ended up getting him help. And I was so inspired by this. I've actually told the story before. So I apologize. If anyone's hearing this story twice. I got uh, an email that was sort of apropos of nothing I was talking about. It was just very sexist. And it was just saying that women shouldn't speak and use a bunch of different uh, profanity and I was literally, I was held down. I was like, I'm going to do scorched earth. He's going to go down. And my husband challenged me. He said, look, you were really inspired by Sarah Silverman and her approach. Why don't you email this person back and see if you can connect? And I wasn't going to. And I'm like, okay, I'll be a better person. So I put together an email and I thought about it. And I kept rereading it. And I thought, Emily, I don't have to edit, you know, 20 times for a troll. And I sent <laughs> it out because I was like, did I use the word really too much? Is there too many likes? And I was yeah. just, I was like, it's a troll. Just. Send an email, see what happens. He totally ghosted me. He never wrote me back. Right. But, but at least you feel good. I mean, that kind of happened to me last week when I was in New York because we have uh, uh, sponsors and things like that. So we have lots of shoes in the office. And I was walking down a street in Manhattan and I saw a gentleman who was a homeless guy and he was trying to use electrical tape to tie his shoes uh, back together. And I knew I was just across the street. The Starbucks is right there. It's, I mean, it's just literally one block, not even. And I knew if I could just go back upstairs, he might be gone. So I went up to the gentleman after I had already passed him and went back. And I said, excuse me, sir, what size shoe do you wear? And he just looked at me and he said, fuck you, bitch. And I was like, right. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's best just to mind your business, too. Yep. <laughs> um, that is not where I thought that story was going to go. I, I had it in my head. I'm like, they're going to have a warm embrace. He now has a job at Barstool Sports. His mind turned around. Chaps is now the god godfather to his kids. It's like I, you have a whole, that is fuck you, bitch is not how I anticipated this going. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's that's chaps for you though. He'll he'll keep you on your toes. I mean, it's you know, uh, 
don't get me wrong. It, sometimes it's fun to dunk on someone on Twitter, especially if Chaps follows that up with a, a, a dunking gif. Um, but I, I found in in you know the last three years since we started our show, like I get so much more uh, fulfillment out of like the nice messages that we get. So why even bother, you know, arguing with people? And uh, and you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, Emily. I, I think so often when people go at other folks on Twitter and they just spit such vitriol. There's something going on with them a lot of times. So what the, you know, it's it's I I almost to the point I feel bad for them. If you can't just come on social media and kind of, you know, kick back and, and and enjoy sports or entertainment or whatever, then I feel bad for you. A lot of time, Emily, some advice too. Whenever they do that, because you know, people will if you post a political view, somebody will want just to get a rise out of you and get a response mm-hmm. out of you because you I, have a, a following. What I like to do yeah. is tweet them back. And yes. then when they respond, I delete my tweet to them. So <gasps> then so then they're just like, what did you say? I wanted to retweet it. Now it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that's I know it drives them insane. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of brilliant. That is, <laughs> that's much better than my way. I was like, mine usually go, and another thing. And one more <laughs> thing. I'm not done with you yet. Oh, I can't believe we're this far into the podcast and we didn't wish you a happy National Theater Day yesterday. Oh, uh, that's on us. That is, should we stop and just start all over Let's again? Let's just start it again. Probably. Yeah. This is all for naught. This is, um, thank you for remembering my favorite day of the year. You're welcome. We actually did, um, my co host and I, Kate, last night, we did a dramatic reading on the radio and it was lovely. Was, was it emotional? Did you emote? Did you um, go we, we emoted a little bit and we talked about favorite plays, favorite Broadway okay. shows that we've been to. What, what are they? Uh, my personal favorite is the last five years. Oh, brilliant! Not love, a choice. That's a that's a little bit more obscure. Yeah, I love that one. I think Joshua Jackson is the most talented voice on Broadway. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that one a lot. And then we also, because it's a more broad show, Kate and I sang "Popular" together, so it was nice. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I, I'm, literally, I have little tears. Um. P.S. My wedding was a Broadway themed wedding. We put was it? The, we named all the tables after our favorite Broadway shows, and we put all the relatives that we hated at the Les Mis table as our own little. <laughs> what What are some of your favorite shows, Emily? Wait, no, I want to go back to to you. What are your favorite shows? Because you live in New York. Right. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, this is, I guess, maybe a little cliche since I am from Jersey, but Jersey Boys will always hold a okay. special place in my heart, just because I think it's such a great show. Um, show. And then in terms of any other shows you know what i just saw recently and i didn't like it as much was pretty woman i thought you were gonna say spongebob square pants I no that was, was not though. it it was good but maybe i was just too jaded by the movie um uh, and i couldn't i couldn't separate the two pretty, pretty woman. woman oh i yeah. was talking about spongebob i heard was great pretty woman. Oh. I, heard, <laughs> I heard pretty woman was eh. mm, exactly getting, it's fine i'm going to new york uh, in a couple of weeks, which I'm very excited to go. And I just basically just try to see as many shows as pop as possible. And I just cry through the entire thing. I'm sort of like you chaps. If I go to a show, I just immediately cry. I've literally cried so hard. I gave myself a bloody nose at the there last show. My husband picked me up and he's like, did somebody hit you in the face? And I was like, no, why? He's like, literally you're covered in blood and snot. And I'm like, but you still love me. He's like, in a little bit, I will. Let's just clean you up. <laughs> also, the waitress. I've loved the the waitress lately. So good. I listen. Uh, do you listen to the? Do you? You of course you do. Do you listen to the Broadway channel on Sirius at all? Oh yeah, 
I try to listen to only channel 85, which is the channel that I have a show on, but um, <laughs> 72 for, occasionally. Yeah, occasionally. Okay. Um, my favorites, I've got a bunch, so I'll do them quickly. Um, I like Sondheim a lot, and I like Company, Sunday in the Park with George, Sweeney Todd, because it's a little dark. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sweeney Todd, I always, I change my, whenever my younger daughter's getting out of the bathtub, instead of Triborellis, I always say, that's my rosy little Cardi Rosie, whenever <laughs> she's getting out of the tub. Why didn't we do this whole podcast as a musical? I'm <laughs> as a sing song? You know, Emily, I do have experience. What? I said I do have theater experience. Wait a minute. Go back. Yes. Continue. I in I, in high school, you know, I did the 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 jock thing, but I also was in three musicals. Which ones? Crazy for you. Good anything show. Anything goes. So which was, was I. Probably my favorite. Who were you? And then uh, Funny Girl. Who were you in Anything Goes? I was just one of the sailors, so I was a a male dancer, so. You know, you got to you got to dance and blow Gabriel blow, which is a good. Oh thing. yes, what a great song that is. Go on and blow. I mm, love, <laughs> love, love, love. Um, Emily, yeah. when you come up to New York, if you want to just walk the streets and just sing show tunes, I'm in. Um, P.S. I do that every time, and then I tell everybody <laughs> I'm singing on Broadway. Oh, and, there you go, perfect. Um, <laughs> if you'd like to join me, I also like to pretend like I'm in a uh, Broadway montage when I go. And I get Broadway emotive face, so I'll walk down the street like pretending I'm carrying my suitcases, and then I'll twirl around and look really wide-eyed. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, if you're not listening to your headphones thinking you're in a music video or a Broadway show when you're walking the streets in New York, you're doing it wrong. You're so, so wrong. Um, you need to see Tootsie. I heard that was really, really good, by the way. Okay. We'll check that out. That's one of the ones I want to see. I um, also love Rent, Dreamgirls. Mm. You guys have seen Hamilton, correct? I'm actually going in May. It's coming to San Antonio. You'll, are you bringing your kids? One. It's really expensive, so yeah, bring oh, one. Okay. The is she into it? Like, does she listen? Yeah, to she listens to it all the time and has for like six months. It's the only oh. reason why we are giving in. I think my wife is actually going to take her. I mean, but the tickets here are like five hundred bucks for the nosebleed. Yeah. Jesus. Jesus. Seriously. <laughs> Five hundred dollars? Yeah, it's crazy. If you want, I'll sing it for you guys for two fifty. Done. <laughs> and I will play every single part. Love every it. Single one. Wait a minute, Connor. Will you join me? Absolutely. Because they double cast it, so I could do first act. You could do second, or we can you know switch off. Wow. You can do a great Angelica. We could do a cross gender casting. I like it. That's very progressive. It is. I'm. I. That's how I think. We only have a little <laughs> bit more time, but I have. Couple of last questions. Who are your dream guests that you'd like to have on the show that you haven't had on yet? Oh, we just made a list. Chaps, you want to read off some of those names? Um, yeah, let me fit. We definitely, I, my absolute golden goose for the show. Well, I guess we have two. I would love to talk to Tammy Duckworth, the Democratic uh, senator from her. Illinois. She is incredible. I think she's just an absolute, um, delight she's a warrior she's a great mother she's a great leader i think she's the epitome of what we should look for in leadership i actually wish she would run for president like so do she, i i think she would be incredible maybe one day we would also love to have colin powell he, i'm even though i'm a marine i modeled a lot of my leadership styles and philosophies after a lot of his books um i would uh george w bush just to, i think what he does for veterans after the fact and his redemption I guess in the military community after what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan has been 
interesting to see and the weight i would like to talk to him about the weight that he feels about the suicide epidemic um there's just so many any anybody in that vein but we also have people of lesser known stature that are some of my favorite interviews we've talked to people who just spent six months out on a submarine and what that was like uh it's usually the people who just have great stories from the military that are my favorite guests. So they, those pop up from time to time. And one thing that we've tried to do lately is if there's been someone killed in action, we try to bring on someone who knows them personally and talk about the stories that are funny about them or what makes them human. Because when someone's lost in action, a lot of time we make them into this Captain America type of person where everybody should have a billboard and everybody they're revered and all they wanted to do their entire life was give up their life for the country. And that's just not the case. These are sons, fathers, husbands, mothers, everything across the board. And we try to highlight some of those humanity stories instead of making it a piece of, I don't want to say propaganda, but you get the idea. Absolutely. I I say that I try to say that a lot too. When, when people are talking about the FBI and the CIA and, People are dunking on it, and I just say, you know, go look at the CIA memorial wall. Go, go look at, you know, go read up. These are, I use the same thing. I said these are mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. They're, they're you and me. They just had a different job, mm-hmm. and they have their own story that you need to honor and you need to hear. I think it's so important that you're doing that, and it, it makes them human. And you also need to talk about how the guy, Kyle, who died two years ago in Afghanistan was drawing the biggest, most beautiful penis ever in, the, in a porta potty because that's who he was as a person. Mm-hmm. And then we've been so fortunate, too. We've gotten so many really, really interesting guests. You know, as, as of uh, tomorrow from being Friday's episode, we will have five Medal of Honor recipients come share their stories, which has been very powerful. Uh, certainly was cool for me early on in the show. We had, um, now he retired as master Sergeant Eversman from the, the movie Black Hawk down. We had the real gentleman who the movie was portrayed. Yeah. Um, so things like that are really cool. But like chap said, certainly George W. Bush, cause he was commander in chief for, you know, half the time that we, we served. So that would certainly be interesting to talk to him That's about cool. all the issues that, that, that chaps mentioned. Um, but I want to just reiterate one thing that chap said, it's just, it's a lot of times it's the people who are just the most honest, who have a good story that have proven to be our best episodes. And and the one that really stands out, we had a, at the time, a 92 year old veteran from Iwo Jima. And he sat there and chaps and I had, you know, we were prepared. We had a ton of questions. This gentleman, Stanley Rubin, he came with a notebook full of notes and Chaps and I ended up just sitting there and listening to this man speak about his time at, at Iwo Jima. And at 92, he was very with it and, and captivating. And it was just a powerful story, so much so that we had to split it into two episodes. He essentially and, gave us a soliloquy for 70 minutes. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Did you guys just sit there with your basically your mouths open? Yeah. Every, yeah. Anytime he would reach like what you thought was the end of the story, I'd be like, holy shit. And then he would start up again. He'd yeah. Like, then the next – he would tell this – unbelievable story that you had never heard of in history books or anything like that. And then he would say, and then the next day, and then he would Mm -hmm. start it out. So it just gave you this picture of what these men were going through that even if as a Marine, I'd studied the Pacific obviously and watched all the shows and read all the books, but hearing it from his mouth and seeing the pain in his eyes, whenever he told some of these stories, put it on a different level than anything I had ever experienced. What an honor to be able to hear those 
hear his words from him and to, mm-hmm. to be in that room. That's amazing. And his his family actually reached out to us after it was over. And they're like, you know what? My grandfather had never spoken about this to any of us. So some of us, some of the other family were sitting in the kitchen um, listening to him tell this story for the first time. And he's 92 years old. So obviously he's getting up there in age. It might have saved that library of thought. And we've talked about that, about Afghanistan and Iraq, that these interviews that we're doing are a library of thought. It's someone individual's brain, how they process what happened to them in Iraq or Afghanistan or northern Africa or around the globe. It's so important to have these stories, and it's going to be something that we know in 30 or 40 years, there's going to be a grandchild who's searching the internet that comes across their grandfather or grandmother telling a story of valor that they that they never heard before. It's, it's it, to have an archive of stories is amazing because I don't, I was going to say, I, otherwise these stories would be lost. I, I, you think about just when you talk to your grandparents, you talk to, you know, and then you're like, you never told me that story. Mm-hmm. And but to have these type of stories that were so impactful, so historical, to be able to archive it and to keep it not only for the family, but I think for future generations of people going into the military mm-hmm. and just for other people to actually hear the realities of something, not something that's been Hollywoodized and shined right. up. But that's the thing, like reality. you're gonna you're gonna get the the you know, certainly like the Chris Kyle, the American sniper story that's yeah. made into a movie with Bradley Cooper. That's awesome. Like, you know, his story is amazing and that's awesome. But you can't make a movie for everybody who served, but that doesn't cheapen everyone's story, right? Yeah. Everyone's story is worth listening to. And, you know, that's why, you know, we try to get as many of those stories out there as we can. And I think everybody has a story. I, I firmly right. believe everybody has a story because people, you know, will say, oh, I, I don't have any stories. If you've lived, you have a story. You just have to pay attention. But everybody has something that's unique to them that is interesting to share and to have down. I think I, I'm a very, very big believer in that. There's there's something called, and I'm getting it wrong, like the story project. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or it's story something. And it's I'll find it as soon as we end this. I'll look it up. It'll come to my brain and I'll... I'll know what it is and I'll DM you guys, but it's about that. And it's basically, it's not specific to military, but it's people coming in, sometimes older generations telling their unique story that hasn't been told. And it's a way to archive it. So that's essentially like people of New York, right? Like where they just find a random person and interview them and they have all kinds of crazy stories to tell. And everybody has a a different perspective. Yeah, pretty much. It's, um, I know some people have done it. I have to look it up because it sounds very uh, similar to that. So I'll look it uh, because I always thought that was a really interesting way to to be able to keep them because after you're gone, your stories are gone and they shouldn't be. But well, that's mm-hmm. me. Before we end, I wanted you just to call out again the organizations uh, where folks who are listening can go if they want to help out our returning veterans. Headstrong and I forgot the other one. I mentioned one. I mentioned one that was um, a similar uh, objective to to get veterans mental health care. It's up in the Boston area. It's called the Home Base Organization, and they're affiliated with the Red Sox. Um, so that's how they came to our attention. But same same type of thing between the Home Base and and Headstrong Organization. You're doing a lot of great things for veterans. That's amazing, and I am so grateful that you guys came on the show and. I want everybody who's listening, if if you're interested in these types of shows, keep going to deepstateradionetwork.com. You can support all of our work, and you can become a member. And if you do, you get swag, you get early interviews, and all that kind of good, fun stuff. You can follow Deep State Radio on Facebook and Twitter, and you can follow our guest. Would you, uh, 
tell us your Twitter handles. I have it, but I'll let you all say it. Sure. Our show is called Zero Blog 30, 30 the number. Um, I don't know why I called it Zero Blog 30. It should be Zero Pod 30. It's not a blog. I made a mistake there, but now I just kind of <laughs> have to deal with it. And uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at Uncle Chaps. You know, it's it's funny. Um, Chaps was interviewing. I, I don't know if it was Tommy Vitor or, or somebody else um, from Pod uh, Save America. Pfeiffer. Yeah. It was yeah, Dan Pfeiffer, and he's like, shit. He, like, he realized it on air during the interview, like, shit, we should have been zero pod 30. So <laughs> it was just kind of funny when he came to that realization. Um, and nobody but, said anything to me about it. Like the entire – all this process, I have to go through to get cleared. And I was like, dude, don't you want to be pod? No, no one said it. No. Disappointing. Well, you're like, that would have been a great idea two years ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Where were you on that one? <laughs> um, like, he'll catch on. He'll, he'll want to change it. And they're like, two years later, he hasn't wanted to change it yet. Okay. <laughs> and we're too, as we said, we're too far down the road. But anyway, uh, I'm, uh, Insta and uh, Twitter, I'm at Captain Cons, spelled just how you would think it is. And also our other co-host want to give her a shout yeah. out too. She's Kate Barstool. She's fantastic. A wonderful advocate for our women's issues that are going on in the military. She's She's great across the board too. Fantastic. Thank you guys so, so much. And I'm so glad we took a musical theater detour. You have no idea how much that meant to me. My heart is full right now. There I'm going to tap shoes <laughs> and do a little tap to you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything. And thank you again for coming on. Thank Appreciate you, it, Thank you. Have a great one. You too. Thank you. Bye. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions, and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.